Good evening. President Biden expands federally guaranteed loans to small businesses. Merrick Garland on Hunter Biden. Cuomo and de Blasio trade shots. The city's new recoveries are a familiar name and the sounds of Mars. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Monday, February 22nd, 2021. The COVID-19 death toll in the United States topped 500,000 Monday, all but matching the number of Americans killed in World War II, Korea, and Vietnam combined. The lives lost, as recorded by John Hopkins University, are about equal to the population of Kansas City, Missouri, and greater than that of Miami, Raleigh, North Carolina, or Omaha, Nebraska. A closely watched model from the University of Washington projects more than 589,000 dead by June 1st. The U.S. toll is by far the highest reported in the world, according to 20% of the nearly 2.5 million coronavirus deaths globally, though the true number, the true numbers are thought to be significantly greater, in part because of the many cases that were overlooked, especially early in the outbreak. Virus deaths have fallen from more than 4,000 reported on some days in January to an average of fewer than 1,900 per day. But experts warn that dangerous variants could cause the trend to reverse itself. Meanwhile, President Joe Biden is planning to acknowledge the country's once unimaginable loss in striking contrast to the approach of his predecessor. Biden, First Lady Jill Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris and her husband Doug Emhoff are leading a national moment of silence at sundown from the White House. They're lighting a candle to mark the half million deaths. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki called the ceremony a human moment. In related news, the Biden administration announced several changes Monday to the Paycheck Protection Program in an effort to reach minority-owned and very small businesses that may have previously missed out on accessing loans to help weather the coronavirus pandemic. Starting Wednesday, small businesses with fewer than 20 employees will have a two-week exclusive window to apply for funding. Bigger businesses will be lot blocked during that time period. Biden announced today self-employed sole proprietors and independent contractors can now qualify for more money. Small businesses are the engines of our economic progress. They're the glue and the heart and soul of our communities. But they're getting crushed. Since the beginning of this pandemic, 400,000 small businesses have closed. 400,000. And millions more are hanging by a thread. It's hurting black, Latino, and Asian American communities the hardest. Walk down any Main Street and you see it. Empty storefronts, goodbye signs hanging in the windows. Maybe it's the pizza place you used to take your family to dinner. Or the hardware store that always had the tool you needed. It's the mom and pop shop that's that's sponsored by... uh, that is supported by the community and in turn they support the community. They sponsor Little League team, the barbershop with the first dollar bill that he or she earns still taped to the wall, along with a picture of their kids who are now in college. These small businesses, not the ones with 500 employees, but these small businesses that with a handful of folks, they are 90% of the businesses in America. But when the Paycheck Protection Program was passed, a lot of these mom and pop businesses got muscled out of the way by bigger companies who jumped in front of the line. And I want to be clear, the Paycheck Protection Program is a bipartisan effort. Democrats and Republicans helped pass it. But Democrats and Republicans have also voiced concerns about improving it. 
With their input, that's what we're doing in our administration, improving it. In the last month, we've increased the share of funding for small businesses with fewer than 10 employees by nearly 60%. For businesses in rural communities, the share of funding is up nearly 30% since we came to office. And the share of funding distributed through banks that traditionally help minority-owned businesses is up more than 40%. And today, I'm announcing additional changes to the PPP program that will make sure we look out for the mom-and-pop businesses even more than we already have. As I explained to Pilar and Tim, the two small business people I spoke to, on Wednesday, the Small Business Administration is going to establish a 14-day exclusive PPP loan application period for businesses and nonprofits with fewer than 20 employees. People can, can go out and find uh, how to get a hold of these, uh, these loans. People can find out more at the SBA.gov. Small Business Administration will also remove barriers that have stopped many businesses from being able to apply for these loans. For example, we're making it so that a student loan default or a non-fraud-related criminal record does not prohibit someone from applying for the program. We're also making it easier for those one-person businesses, like the home repair contractors, beauticians, small independent retailers, to secure forgivable PPP loans. At the same time, we're increasing access by increasing oversight. I invite any inspector general in this program, with jurisdiction over this program, to closely look at these loans and report, publicly report, on any issues they uncover inconsistent with what I'm saying today. We will ensure every dollar is spent well. These changes will bring much needed long overdue to help to small businesses who really need help staying open, maintaining jobs and making ends meet. And this is a starting point, not the ending point. President Joe Biden. Meanwhile, in international news, police and protesters clash in Haiti's capital, Port-au-Prince. Police used tear gas and sporadic shots were heard. The fighting was sparked by a power grab by Haiti's U.S.-backed president. President Jovenel Moises claims he belongs in office for another year and is cracked down by arresting members of the opposition. His ally is United States President Joe Biden, who supports extending the Haitian president's term. Daoud Andre is an activist and radio host. His program, Erite Papu Dessaline, meaning the children of Jean-Jacques Dessaline, is named after the leader of Haiti's 18th century revolution. The United States and their allies, Canada, France, and right now some other countries, they propped up the Duvalier regime in Haiti. Both the father, François Duvalier, and the son, Jean-Claude Duvalier, from 1957 to 1986. And right now, since the year of the earthquake, a supposed rigged election happened, and the Clintons, and we have to add Barack Obama, 
and Joe Biden. They had another sham election in 2015, 2016, in which the individual who's currently there, Jovenel Moïse, was installed as the president. We consider this, and many other Haitians, sham elections, and that Jovenel Moïse has never had legitimacy, because even the Electoral Council at the time, they claimed that he only had 500, about 500,000 votes, and this is in a country of 12 million people. This is uh, set up by the United States. That second election happened under Barack Obama and Joe Biden. He's been a very good puppet to Donald Trump in the time that Trump was president of the United States. They had very good relations to the point of him betraying Venezuela. This is one of the very few countries who recognize Juan Guaido as the president of Venezuela. And of course, Joe Biden is still supporting Jovenel Moïse. And what's been happening in the streets of Haiti in the last few days? Huge demonstrations all over the country. Daoud Andre is an activist and radio host. And Merrick Garland, President Joe Biden's attorney general nominee, vowed Monday to combat extremist violence and said his first focus would be on the insurrection at the United States Capitol. He also sought to assure lawmakers that the Justice Department would remain politically independent on his watch. Garland appeared Monday before the Senate Judiciary Committee and is widely expected to sail through his confirmation process with bipartisan support. But Senator Chuck Grassley, a Republican, asked the nominee if he'd spoken to the president about a possible investigation of his son, Hunter Biden, over allegations he got a plum job with a corrupt Ukrainian energy company named Burisma and was protected by his father from an ensuing investigation. We'll have to deal with the investigation that's underway by some of us in Congress about Hunter Biden. Uh, have you discussed the case with the president or anyone else? And, and I don't expect you to discuss your private conversation with the president, but members of this committee always ask uh, judges or other people, what your, did you discuss with the president, for instance, your, appoint, uh, your uh, position on abortion? So have you discussed this Hunter Biden case with the president or anyone else? I have not. The president made abundantly clear uh, in every public statement before and after my nomination that uh, decisions about investigations and prosecutions will be left to the Justice Department. That was the uh, uh, reason that I was willing to uh, take on this job. And um, um, so the answer to your question is no. Garland, a federal appeals court judge, was snubbed by Republicans for a seat on the Supreme Court in 2016. In related news, Ukraine's top prosecutor said on Friday that investigations into Ukrainian energy company Burisma Holdings Limited have been closed with no plans to reopen them. As vice president under President Barack Obama, Biden oversaw U.S. policy toward Ukraine and sought the removal of the country's top prosecutor at the time, who the United States and Western European countries had viewed as corrupt 
or ineffective. In December 2019, Trump was impeached on charges of abuse of power and obstruction of Congress over his request in a July 2019 phone call to Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky for an investigation into Biden and his son Hunter. But managing editor of Covert Action magazine Jeremy Kuzmarov says the media overlooked the real story behind Hunter Biden and Burisma, especially the laptop found at a repair shop with allegedly damning evidence on the president's son. Bob had these emails that were quite incriminating about Hunter Biden, and it showed also that Joe Biden had lied because Joe Biden said he didn't know anything about his son's, you know, he stayed out of his son's professional life, and he didn't know anything about what he was doing with Burisma, and had nothing to do with it, but the laptop had emails which showed that he had met, Joe had met with people, top executives with Burisma, and had long meetings with them, he, he was involved. He knew about it, and he was meeting with Burisma officials so or company employees. So and that was one lie that was exposed through those emails. And um, there was other, I think, information about Hunter and his role with Burisma. And then there was some stuff like sex tape and stuff like that uh, that does you know, cast questions on, on, on Hunter's character. But as you say, I mean, every human has good and bad side, but he clearly has a, a corrupt side to him. I mean, he's capable of doing good things, but... Also, some really shady things. Right. And well, banking on his family name to, to purchase. American corruption. Usually, the, the adjective is Russian corruption, Putin corruption. They took it, look at the Navalny thing over and over again. So, you're saying that uh, corruption just isn't in one province alone? That's part of the narrative of the new Cold War that Russia's corrupt. Russia's an authoritarian, corrupt state, and they want to give credence to all Navalny's allegations. And, you know, the media is filled with articles about Putin's alleged corruption. Sure, there's corruption in Russia, but uh, we also should look at ourselves and how the United States government can feel corruption in that region of the world, including other regions of the world. And the United States government may be as corrupt or more corrupt than Russia. And that's the managing editor of Covert Action Magazine, Jeremy Kuzmarov. He's the author of the article, Escalating the New Cold War with Russia via Ukraine at Covert Action's website. President Biden's pick to lead the White House Budget Office was in deeper peril Monday after two swing Republican senators said they would vote against her, underscoring the power of centrist lawmakers in the closely divided Senate. Senator Susan Collins, a Republican of Maine, and Senator Mitt Romney, Republican of Utah, said Monday they would oppose Neera Tandon's nomination to the Office of Management and Budget as director, saying her past statements and tweets showed she was too divisive for the position. The announcements came after Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, a moderate Democrat, said on Friday he would oppose Tandon's nomination because of her sharp criticism of Republicans. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said Monday that the president would continue to stand behind Tandon. Would not have nominated her if he did not think she would be an excellent OMB director. And uh, he nominated her because she is qualified, uh, because she is somebody who has a proven experience and record, as I outlined earlier, of working with different groups and organizations with different political beliefs, uh, and because he believes that her own experience will contribute to taking a fresh perspective and a fresh approach to this position. Uh, so we simply just disagree with uh, whether she's the right person for the job with uh, these senators. So President Biden did not have any concerns about her past statements? I think I'll leave it at what I've said so far. We have been working the phones in touch with uh, Democrats and Republicans and their offices through the course of the weekend.
And that's Jen Psaki. If the White House were to pull Tandon's nomination or if it failed to reach the 51 votes needed for confirmation, it would mark the first time one of Biden's nominees had been blocked. The Office of Management and Budget is an arm of the White House tasked with crafting the president's budget request to Congress and analyzing proposed regulations. Tandon would be the first South Asian woman to oversee OMB. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Movie theaters in New York City will be allowed to reopen at 25% capacity next month, according to Governor Andrew Cuomo on Monday. The change will go into effect on March 5th and will follow the restrictions already in place elsewhere in the state. Cuomo went on to say that each theater can have no more than 50 people in it and that social distancing, masks, assigned seating and other safety precautions would be required. And Mayor Bill de Blasio on Monday appointed a new senior advisor he calls the city's COVID recovery czar. Lorraine Grillo will be focused on coordinating different agencies and leaders in city government to help the city bounce back from the coronavirus. She comes to her new position from the city's school construction authority where she spent more than 20 years. Directly with you, Mr. Mayor, I'm going to lead a recovery war room that spans across government. I work with our deputy mayors every agency and reach out to business leaders and nonprofits. I'm going to draw on my decades of experience in government to cut through the noise and get things done. Joining together with the task force on racial inclusion and equity, I will fight to make sure our recovery is felt in every borough and in every neighborhood. I want you to know that this is my city. I was born and raised here. I sent my kids to New York City public schools, and I'll be damned if we don't lead the greatest, strongest, fairest recovery you've ever seen. That's what my mission is. In my years serving New York City, I've built schools for over 80,000 students. I've led nearly 4,000 capital improvement projects and managed budgets totaling $28 billion. I I build things. That's what I do. And together, we're going to build a recovery for all of us. So let's get to work, Mr. Mayor. And the mayor praised Grillo for using her position at the School Construction Authority to empower women and communities of color. In uh, in somewhat related news, uh, the Lorraine Grillo had been head of the School Construction Authority and the uh, and another city development agency that's. Uh, tasked with construction uh, that was going to be in charge or is in charge of the construction of what's called the east side uh, uh, the east side um, uh, ESCR which is the uh, recovery the project for building a flood control project along the east river in the east village and the letters uh, a letter was uh, addressed to the mayor through Catherine Skopik who's chairperson of the Sierra Club as well as former Lower Manhattan Council member Alan Gerson, and uh, who's the chair, chairman of the Urban Sustainability Committee, and the the purpose of that letter was to demand that the uh, city look at this project, the East Side East Side Coastal Resiliency Plan, and to uh, decide if that plan should be followed because of the discovery that the value engineering study, which was supposed to be released to the public which is a sort of a feasibility study had not been actually done by the city and that this was a, a rationale for stopping the construction project. Of course, Grillo and others in that those departments of the city involved with construction were involved in that project.
The mayor says he's going to sign an executive order as well to extend the JFK lease with the Port Authority with $10 billion to $15 billion going to infrastructure improvements at the airport. As part of the agreement, nearly a third of the contractors for construction need to be businesses owned by either minorities or women. And Health Commissioner Dr. David Chosky Meanwhile, said that the gap in the city's ambitious vaccination program caused by the bad weather that swept the country last week will be closed by the end of the week. In fact, uh, all of the shipments that were due to arrive in New York City last week um, to come uh, to the city uh, between mostly between today and tomorrow, um, perhaps some uh, on Wednesday as well. And then we also expect uh, the deliveries that were originally slated to arrive for this week. Um, to arrive by the end of the week as well. Right now, um, we're getting about 170,000 first doses uh, per week, and that's our expected supply uh, for the next two to three weeks. We expect that that number will modestly increase um, through uh, March, and hopefully by the end of March uh, to April, based on what our federal colleagues are telling us, um, there will be a further increase in supply. But the mayor was distracted by a question about Governor Andrew Cuomo during his press briefing today. De Blasio reiterated his call for an investigation into claims Cuomo covered up thousands of nursing home deaths early in the pandemic. No, I have not spoken to him. No, I do not accept his explanation. There needs to be a full investigation. Thousands of lives were lost. Families deserve answers. We need to get the whole truth here. We need to make sure that nothing like this ever happens again. In retaliation, Cuomo put de Blasio on the defensive with the screed he delivered, accusing the city of being mired in crime under the mayor's watch. De Blasio said he'll meet the governor's March deadline for a new policing strategy and that the pandemic is what caused the problem. For seven years, we've been doing fundamental reforms to our police department. We ended stop and frisk. We reduced arrest greatly while keeping the city safe. We reduced mass incarceration, body cameras on all our officers, retrained our entire police force in de-escalation and implicit bias. That's just the beginning of the list I could give you. And a host of major reforms are coming now. We just announced our disciplinary matrix, revolutionizes police discipline, strengthening the Civilian Complaint Review Board bringing communities into decision of who will be their precinct commanders. Uh, these are unprecedented reforms. You can look all over the country. You're not going to find this many reforms and this much impact. And there's more coming in this next package, which we will get done by the end of March, working closely with the city council. And this city's coming back strong in 2021. Uh, you already have seen uh, January uh, statistics from the NYPD Better than January a year ago, fighting crime, pushing back crime in major categories, gun arrests up. Uh, you're going to see a huge turnaround this year because we won't have a global pandemic and massive social disruption holding us back. And this city is going to be coming back really strong. Uh, so the proof will be clear. The evidence will be clear to all New Yorkers. And as Mayor de Blasio, at its core, the scandal engulfing Cuomo is really about liability shields for nursing home corporations and their executives. And we'll be covering that story later on in the week. And we may be conditioned to seeing the incredible pictures of Mars sent by the rover that landed successfully on the red planet's surface last week. But the rover, named Perseverance, or Percy for short, has a new tool included, a microphone that picked up the sound of a gust of Martian wind.
And her response was that her sister was visually impaired. Uh, she was not able to see these images that, uh, that uh, we saw earlier or that we sent down in the past. And while she tries to describe them to her, she felt that she just can't quite capture that same sense of amazement that she gets when she gets in visually. And that by actually getting a microphone out of the surface of Mars, the hope was that she'd be able to experience things on Mars the same way that, uh, that she was when she actually looked at them. With that, um, I invite you now to, if you would like to close your eyes and just imagine yourself sitting on the surface of Mars and listening to, to the surroundings. It's just, it's cool. It's really neat, overwhelming, if you will. And that was the sounds of Mars. The story that the scientist, the technician told was that of a visually impaired person who was denied the ability to follow the photographs and wanted to have that immersive experience of being on the surface of Mars. And finally, the Indian Point nuclear reactor is 24 miles from the Bronx Yonkers border. Two of the three reactors are shut down and the third is slated to be shut down in April of this year. Then its decommissioning phase begins. Indian Point's current owner, Entergy, is planning to transfer the license to another company to perform the decommissioning. At the moment, that company is Holtec International. Clearwater, along with several other environmental organizations and elected officials, oppose the sale of Indian Point to Holtec. This is because of their long-standing history of disregard of health and safety concerns and continues to be investigated for corruption and for cutting corners. Ken Gale, producer of WBAI's Ecologic, says the only way to transfer of uh, the only way to transfer Indian Point to Holtec would be uh, could be approved would be by looking the other way. The Public Service Commission, which oversees utilities, is holding public hearings this Tuesday that activists have been demanding for the past two years. You can view the hearing on WBAI's YouTube channel or on clearwater.org. The public comment period for citizens to voice their concerns on the Indian Point license transfer continues through Friday. And that's some of the news for Monday, February 22nd, 2021. The news was produced with Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City for the WBAI News, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.